This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, we have not had an interview in a while. And guys, it's better late than never because this is one of my favorite interviews I've ever done in any context. I just love this guy. And the guy that we got on today's episode is Pat McNamara. So if you're not familiar with who Pat McNamara is, that name should sound familiar because I've talked about him here on the podcast. I've uh, talked about his Instagram. I've shared some of his Instagram stuff on our Instagram page. But here's the deal. He's retired United States Army. He served for 22 years, and the entire time he was in service, he was in special operations. So he was in special operations units and special missions units, and he retired from the Army's premier hostage rescue unit as a sergeant major. And here's the thing about this guy. He's an incredible marksman, okay? So some guys say they're a good shot. This guy's a marksman, and he's amazing at it. This guy has trained and really continues to train all levels of marksmanship using a training methodology that he himself has developed. Uh, In addition to that, he runs a website and really a, a movement called Combat Strength Training. And so this has a lot to do with how you move your body and how you need to be able to move your body and different training mechanisms. But it's all kind of around, uh, and I won't get too much into what we talked about in the podcast, but it's it's around really being prepared, being ready to act, being able to use your combat chassis, which is your body, to be able to react to a situation. He's also an author. So he's got several books out there. He wrote one book called Taps. That's Tactical Application of Practical Shooting that was released back in, back in 08. He's got another one uh, called Sentinel. It's called Becoming the Agent in Charge of Your Own Protection Detail. If you listen to him at all, or if you've heard his uh, Instagram stuff on Sundays, that should sound familiar to you. And then he's got a new ebook that kind of gives you a little bit more of an inside look at the combat strength training. So it's a combat strength training ebook. And if that still hasn't uh, reminded you as to who this guy was, if you listen to the Joe Rogan experience back in March, of 2019. That's when he appeared on, on that show. And so we go into that here in this episode. We talk a lot about his experience with Joe and what that was like. And, you know, that's where I first heard about the guy. I'm sure I would have stumbled upon him eventually, but that is the first time where I actually saw him. And, you know, that has increased his profile and increased his popularity a lot. He has an incredibly popular Instagram account where he shows his workouts and his markmanship training, his preparedness drills, and, you know, a lot more of what we'll just kind of get into here in just a second. So guys, this is a great interview. I literally just hit end on the interview recording with him. Uh, I just let him go. I mean, it, it's a great treat to have a guy like this on the podcast. So without further ado, let's get into it. Pat McNamara, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Right on. Thank you very much for having me. Man, I just got to tell you, I'm so excited. Like, I'm giddy to have you on the podcast <laughs> today. I've been wanting to get you on here for a long time. I'm glad we finally made it work out. But the thing about it is, man, is as I've told the listeners of this podcast, you're one of my favorite follows on Instagram. I mean, your stuff isn't just, you know, motivational and inspirational. Like it's very instructional. There's a lot of practicality for the things that you say. You're very, very entertaining. And I guess I feel like I know you, you know what I mean? Cause I, I've watched your workouts and I've watched your, your shooting instructionals. And I've watched all the advice that you give on, on everything. It's just awesome. And I guess that's a good place as any to start the podcast interview. So why did you pick Instagram? You know, what is it about Instagram that made you get started and putting content out there? And how do you decide what you put out there for all of us to take a look at? You know, it, it's a, it's a funny world that we live in, you know, the world of social media and stuff like that. And how you mentioned, you know, uh, you, you get to sort of know somebody. I think you can get a pretty good feel for who somebody is based on the content that they put out. Cause I've met a lot of really good, uh, people, you know, uh, on, um, or through social media. And when I meet them in real life, uh, they're pretty much the guy that I figured they would be based on what they put out and who they represent on their platforms. Um, so <clears throat> I, I, I'm kind of new to the whole social media thing. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't get on Facebook until six years ago. Uh, I, I'm a YouTuber, but I didn't get on Facebook until six years ago. And that's only because somebody was posing as me. And then my wife, uh, said, Hey, you need to get on, uh, Instagram too. And I was like, eh, all right, we'll try it. And initially it was just fun, but I realized that, um, I started getting followers, boom, 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 you know, left and right. Uh, and <clears throat> so I cleaned it up a bunch. I, I made sure that I kept it rated G because looking at the demographics, I had a lot, a lot of young people following me. And then I kind of filtered through and figured out, uh, what people wanted. And for me, it was, you know, the physical stuff, the shooting, um, you know, basically guy stuff, cars, rock and roll. Uh, and then uh, I started with the Sunday Sentinel sermons and then it blew up even more 
and then from the uh, Sunday Sentinel sermons into the basic dude stuff. Well, in addition to that, I feel like you're really authentic because there, there's nothing worse than, you know, feeling like you know somebody on social media and then you meet them in person. You, you feel like you know them, but then they're just not that way in person and they're just rude or right. maybe they don't have as much personality. It's, it's just very disappointing. But you mentioned basic dude stuff there. And I just got to tell you, that is my favorite. <laughs> you do on all of your Instagram is every Wednesday you do basic dude stuff. So, I mean, it's everything from woodworking to tying knots, cleaning weapons, sharpening a knife with a whetstone, training dogs, and even, even cooking a soft boiled egg. And I just got to tell you, I cooked a soft boiled egg for the first time today. It was a little weird, but you know, I, you inspired <laughs> me to do that. But how did you decide you wanted to start doing basic dude stuff? All right. So the story behind that is, um, we had three appliances go down at once or in, in my kitchen and my wife said, Hey, let's order, you know, this set. And there were four of them. And I said, Oh yeah, sounds good. So, you know, complete set, a refrigerator, a dishwasher, an oven and a microwave. And she said, well, we could have so-and-so help install them. And I went, Rebecca, (laughs) are you kidding me? I am a dude, man. I could put all this stuff in myself. And I started thinking about it and I was like, you know what? there's a lot of guys who can't do like guy stuff. And I, I, as per usual, I, I have a lot of ideas and I run them by my wife. She's like my executive assistant. And you know, 90% of the time she'll, she'll get my thumbs down, but every once in a while she'll go, you know what? That's a good idea. And I said, and it, it, and it was an epiphany. Boom. I said, I'm going to start jotting down basic dude stuff ideas. And, uh, it just happened. It, I mean, it was in like a span of five minutes in our conversation and I started writing stuff down, you know, in a notebook and I had two pages in, in about 10 minutes of things that I think guys should know how to, should know how to do. And, and <clears throat> not only that, but it's kind of an instructional for, let's say generation Z or not so much millennials got to get a bad rap, you know, millennials go up to what age 30, five or something like that. But it's the generation Zers that I worry about because I have two of them. I have a 16 and 18 year old and they've never been bored. You know, they've always been able to swipe right. So there's a lack of creativity and uh, imagination with, with these, uh, and and they they rely solely on, um, on technology to get them through the day. Even if it's nabbing to the grocery store, which is a mile and a half away. So uh, I figured, you know what? Let me um, let me see how this goes. And I put the first one up, and it exploded. The very first one. And when I had four of them, I lumped them together and put it on my YouTube channel, and it detonated. I was like, all right, I have something here with this basic dude stuff. Uh, so the uh, the the notes and the responses have been overwhelming. Um, 95% positive. You know, there's that 5% of douchebags who say, well, you should use this tool or that you're missing the point, man. You know, it's not about me upgrading my tools or, or, um, uh, uh, doing something a better way. It's just, I know how to do all of the things. I can't build a house from, and I don't have an arc welder, but I know how, how to do all of the guy's stuff, you know, all of it. Uh, and, and that, that includes like, you know, chivalry and stuff like that. When I put in, there was one of them where I said, buying your wife flowers, but I know spe- no special occasion needed is basic dude stuff. Cause, uh, that's just something I do out of, out of habit because I love my wife not just on Valentine's day, but all, all days of the year. Uh, the next day after that posted, I saw so many guys walking out of my local Harris Peter with bouquets of flowers yes. and two of them yes. nodded, two of them nodded to me, two of them like, yeah, bro, look, I got my flowers. I'm like, good for you, bro. <laughs> So with that, and one of the things that I really like about the basic dude stuff is it it points out the stuff in your life that you don't exactly have completely squared away. And it kind of it motivates you to try to learn how to fix it. And that's one of the things I try to tell guys and encourage guys to do in 2020, which is to not just replace it, but to learn how to fix it. But right. I just got to be honest, for me personally, I didn't grow up in a household where we were constantly fixing things. And, you know, I had a great dad. I still have a great dad. But, you know, I wasn't around when he was fixing stuff. I was either playing sports or, or you know, doing stuff for school, which I did well in sports and in school. And it's just I wasn't around when a lot of that was happening. So I feel like to a certain degree I'm behind. So what would you suggest to guys? that feel like maybe they're a little bit behind. They're not caught up on how to do all that stuff and how they could get caught up. 
Well, you know, um, I think that uh, that Wednesday chunk um, is 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 kind of a kick in the pants because I have buds who are who are studs. You know, they're they're men's men. And they say, man, I don't know any of those knots. And they, you know, uh, research it online and they've got some lengths of rope where they're actually, you know, tying knots and, 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 uh, know the importance of why they should know certain anchoring systems or why they should be able to cultivate a garden or why they should be able to, um, you know, treat their wives with respect and be able to iron their own shirt and stuff like that. So I think that's, that's the kick in the pants in itself is just that that one minute of uh six snippets i put out on every wednesday i think that's um it's um it'll uh help um kind of energize those guys who don't know all of the basic dude stuff and um it's working it's it's working because people tell me that that hey man this is working yeah, totally. It's not surprising at all that you're getting such positive feedback. But to be honest, when you said the 5%, I thought for a second you were going to say that people were like, oh, this is toxic masculinity. What are you saying? Women can't do this stuff either. I mean, I guess I'm assuming you're not really getting a lot of feedback like that. Right. No, not not the toxic mas- masculinity. I get guys who are over over the top, guys who are beyond basic dude, and, and, and they'll pick one thing out. And they're, you know, these guys are electricians or they're you know, they're, they're general contractors and they say, Hey, there's a better way to do that. I say, yeah, but do you know how to orient a map? I mean, look at the whole, look at the whole segment. Don't just pick one thing out and nickel and dime me. I mean, I'm, I'm still getting my point across, aren't aren't I? And you know, I, I don't even respond to him. I just let the interweb take care of it. Fair enough. And another thing that you mentioned is that every Sunday you do something called the Sunday Sentinel Sermon. And I thought that that's had a, a tremendous impact on a lot of guys. It certainly has for me. But explain to some of the guys listening to this that maybe don't know exactly what the Sunday Sentinel Sermon is and where it came from. So I wrote a book called uh, Sentinel within the uh, subtitle is uh, Be the Agent in Charge of Your Own Executive Protection Detail. Uh, and and it's a good toilet bowl read. You know, it's chock full of little uh, snippets and it, it, Essentially, what it does is it takes what an executive protection detail does, like State Department or Secret Service, and you you uh, whittle it down to a micro level. What can I do? What can you do to help um, you know protect yourself, your family, your loved ones uh, at a micro level? Sort of like what a uh, an executive protection detail does, but in a more um, you know, finite type of, or uh, the, the minutia, because you can't do uh, what they do on a day by day basis because it's exhausting. So um, my uh, podcast buddy, CJ Ortiz, he's a metal motivator on IG. Uh, we do the uh, university of Badassery podcast together. He's the one who came up with the idea. He goes, you know what, man, that Sentinel, that dog has hunt and you need to do more of that stuff. You need to put some notes out on, the, on the interwebs and I, and, and, and it was an epiphany moment again. I said, I'll call them Sunday Sentinel sermons. I mean, it came out that fast. So they're, they're just little uh, PSAs. They're about, I keep them right at about 30 seconds. Cause I understand that the attention level of a human being nowadays is, is, is less of that than a goldfish. So I, I, I try to keep them, uh, you know, short, clear and concise. And, um, and they're just just small snippets taken from that book um, on how to uh, how to make you and your family or your loved ones, or if you live by yourself, just a little more secure in, in today's world. Yeah, every time I watch your Sunday Sentinel sermons, I always feel like you bring something up that I thought I had nailed down or that people, most people think they have nailed down that they actually don't. And the thing is, is that's just a, an outworking of your level of experience. And we'll get more into your you know preparedness and military experience and all that stuff that kind of gave you that foundation here in just a second. But you always bring stuff up that I, that I think I have nailed. You brought one thing up, I remember, from one of your videos on YouTube where you're talking to somebody about in your active shooter bag, you've actually got an orange vest that says security on it. Right. And that's, that's an amazing idea because I've always thought about if there was an active shooter situation and, you know, I'm being engaged by the perpetrator, I'm engaging back. If the police roll in or SWAT or something like that, how do they know who the good guy and the bad guy is? 
And for that rookie cop that may be a little bit nervous on the trigger, that orange vest that says security on it is going to at least make him stop, consider his situation, run through his personal OODA loop, and figure out who the threat is. So I think right. that's an, an incredible asset to be able to teach people how to do stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's I'm not I'm not uh, telling people anything that they don't know, but f- uh, for the uh, most part, it's the refresher. You know, it's like, oh man, I knew that one time, or um. I thought about that at this point, you know, it's in most cases, uh, I think the guys who follow me, it's just a refresher or just a little, um, you know, a reboot. And, uh, they have that realization that, Oh, you know what? Why haven't I been doing this? Cause I know better. Well, we'll go ahead and move into really the reason why I know who you are and why a lot of the listeners here know who you are. And that's because about a year ago, a little under a year ago, you were actually a guest on the Joe Rogan experience. And so I've actually been able to talk to a few people that have been in, you know, interviewed on that podcast before the biggest podcast in the world. And so kind of give all the listeners a peek behind the curtain, kind of let us know, how did you get introduced to Joe? Like, what was it like going to the studio? What was it like doing the interview afterwards? Just kind of give us an idea of your entire experience. So uh, it was a, probably a, about a year prior to uh, my appearing on his podcast, which was uh, last March. Um, I, I realized that he was following me on social media. And it, not soon after that, he pinged me and said, hey, uh, would you be a guest? And at the time, my schedule was jam-packed, and I had to tell him no, which which is hor- you know horrible, um, be, because I was traveling every weekend. Uh, so we, we pinged each other a couple times during that year. And then a year ago, uh, right about now, uh, I pinged him back and, uh, I said, Hey, I've got some time. Uh, if, if you'd have me on your podcast and he got right back to me and he said, absolutely. He threw out a couple dates and I said, I'll be there. Um, so it was about a year ago now or a year ago, March. And, um, <clears throat> I had just enough time to go out, do the interview and come back. It was like, a, you know, in a day and a half span, uh, flew out there, went to his, um, uh, his office, which is just North of uh, LA, nice, like industrial type of area. And, you know, his building's real benign, um, and introduced by one of his, or one of his, uh, assistants met me, walked into his, uh, office which you walk right into this gym which is a really cool gym and then uh what captivated me is the next room i went into he had this 70s vintage pool table nine footer and it was a beautiful pool table and you could tell it was old but you know uh refelted and just beautiful my wife and i shoot pool a lot and we're no slubs you know we're pretty good um she's better than i am by the way but (laughs) anyway um but we but we shoot well you know we're, we're we're so he comes out and because of the interweb, once again, it's like, we've already known each other. So we gave each other a big, you know, man hug and chatted about, we exchanged about four words and he goes, do you shoot? And I go, yeah. He goes, you want to shoot a game? I said, Hell yeah. And now, you know, Joe is an aspiring pro uh, pool player. Right. I mean, he's, yeah, he's good. Uh, uh, so we shot a game and I was he kicked my ass, but what I was happy about is that he saw that I was able to play because I made a couple of good shots. Um, so we shot that game of pool, and then um, we just got right down to business. Went into uh, the uh, his little uh, recording studio, and the cool thing about uh, him is that he is he is a great moderator. Uh, I, I do a bunch. I do a lot of podcasts. He is interested and interesting. He knows something about everything, and uh, I liked I liked how the flow went because it um, it wasn't typical. Because uh, a lot of times when I do a podcast, it's it's sort of typical. Um, but he was all over the map, and man, that time flew. It was like two and a half hours, I think. Uh, it, it was pretty long, but it flew by. Um, but it was a great it was a great experience. He's a great guy. Um, and when we were done, I basically just said see you later and walked out because he had another one to go right after me because he just back to back him he'll do he'll do he'll do three a day sometime 
Man, that's awesome. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. I mean, I remember last year when I was kind of recapping my favorite episodes of any podcast that I listened to that year. And that was one of my favorite episodes that I listened to. It was just so enthralling. And I even rewatched it uh, last night on YouTube. And it was just such a, I mean, you mentioned how quickly the time went. It's because it was so fluid. And I mean, even when you're watching it on my end, it seems so fluid because y'all are just kind of easily going through the conversation in and out. Right. And I know that's got to be frustrating for the people that, you know, end up making the YouTube clips uh, for Joe Rogan, you know, about the, the clips about certain subjects because he flips back and forth and so does the the people that he interviews. And But that's, that's why it's so interesting to listen to. That's why you can listen to a podcast of his that's two or three or four hours long and not be bored. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good point. Yeah, but yeah, I love I love the flow. It was it went it went well, and um, you know I wasn't exhausted when it finished. Uh, but I had I I haven't listened to it, and I probably won't. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So like not at all? No, <clears throat> no, I don't. I haven't. I I do a lot of podcasts. I ha- even have my own, and I don't even listen to the ones that, that I do. Wow. So is it just that you're you're nervous that you misspoke or just said something or just kind of came off sounding stupid or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. That, that right there. Yeah. That, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to hear myself sounding like a tool in the event that I did. Well, I guess, you know, I go back and listen to all my episodes and I am my own worst critic. I mean, if I didn't enunciate something properly or if I said someone's name wrong or, I mean, if I've even gone back and like tried to correct the record because someone pointed out, Hey, you said the wrong movie there. And it's like, ah, crap. So it's just kind of how, how it goes, but that's just how I process stuff. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about as well, because this came out a lot with your interview with Joe Rogan, but it's just your overall ideas when it comes to being prepared, just having a preparedness to be able to act in every way that that might be required of you. And so that obviously for you comes from your military background, because for you, you spent over 20 years in the United States army and that entire time you were in special operations, correct? Correct. Yeah. 22 years, special ops. And it was a really good, uh, it's only been as of recent that I've, um, I, that I've reflected upon it and it was because of like doing podcasts. Um, because I'm not one of those rest on your laurels, you know, dudes, uh, I was a badass yesterday, but I'm a badass tomorrow. Um, and when I re- reflected on it, I went, man, that, that is a cool ass career, you know, like book worthy stuff, which I won't do a, a book on my career, but, um, I was very fortunate in at, on so many levels, uh, because it could have gone, it could have gone South. You know, anytime a guy goes into a special ops career, there's so much luck involved and, and there's so many variables that can change the, you, the, the direction uh, on your projected path uh, that y- you never know if it's going to pan out. Uh, and just making certain selections in certain schools, the attrition rate, you know, and all these things is astronomical. So I was very fortunate. I mean, I was, you know, uh, what they call SF baby. So I went to the, the special forces course on my 19th birthday. So I just finished base training uh, and jump school, uh, made it through the SF course and not easily. Um, and then uh, it, I was went to Halo school, combat dive school, and got another special forces MOS. And I did that all before I was 22 or at by the time I was 22. And then I had a couple Cold War jobs uh, and then went to uh, – the, the unit selection uh, in 91 made that and stayed there for, you know, in USASOC for uh, 13 years, retired in 05. So it was, it was a, it was a really good career. I got to do pretty much er- everything and, and I left it with no uh, regrets. You know, I, I left it pretty fulfilled. So, cause that's, that's a horrible thing. You know, when you leave a career and you have regrets like, Oh, I should have done this or should have done that. Should have, would have, could have, man, it was should have, would have, could have, well, you know, they can haunt you for a long, long time. So I was able to, you know, pursue that career, finish it with no shoulda, woulda, couldas. Yeah, you mentioned several times there the shoulda, woulda, couldas, and and I've got a buddy of mine that was in the special operations community, and you know he has some regrets when it comes to, and I, I know a lot of guys in the military actually just have regrets around you know when they were the point man on a mission and somebody died, and you know you know living with that and trying to figure out what could I have done differently, how could I have trained better, like right. why did I make that decision, and you guys kind of walk around with that. But one thing that you mentioned as well is uh, that you are not going to be writing a book about your career, and and that's one thing that I've encouraged 
encouraged my buddy to do to actually get his thoughts down about his career. And, and to be honest, that actually seems to be a really popular thing right now for former Green Berets or SEALs or SF guys to write autobiographies and memoirs about their time in the military. And those are some of my favorite books that I've read, but you as kind of a matter of factly said that that's not going to be you. So why is that something that you don't see yourself doing? Uh, well, now I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm in the process of writing another book and I'm going to put military stuff in there, but it's not going to be solely a military career book only gotcha. because I, I don't want to disclose stuff that shouldn't be disclosed. I, I, I have a, a, oh, I have a lot of sayings, but one of my sayings is dark people work in the dark, in, in dark places of the world and do dark things and nobody needs to know about it. You know, there's some things that, that people just don't need to know about, at least not in writing. I will tell as many anecdotes in person, uh, as, a, you know, as a, as a guy wants to hear, but I don't want to put it on paper or on uh, tape because, um, there's certain things that shouldn't be disclosed. And it, it, it ticks me. It's a pet peeve of mine when guys disclose operations or, um, you know, certain aspects of training that, that, that shouldn't be talked about. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's not, it's not my style and I won't, I won't do that. I won't do that. I won't sell out. Fair enough. Well, one thing that I've seen a lot in a lot of your videos and the stuff that you post online is that you don't just preach that people need to be prepared, that you, you actually teach this, that you right. actually go around and you teach a lot of preparedness classes and a lot of marksmanship classes as an expert. And so the thing is, is you've probably seen hundreds, if not thousands of people on the range with their different firearms and all the mistakes and the different things that they do wrong. So for you, what do you feel like is the most common mistake you see people make with their marksmanship? Uh, one is, uh, people are consumed with this, with the theater aspects, you know, fast trick shooting, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Uh, so there's a big lack with, with a lot of it. There's a big lack of concentration on the fundamentals, the absolute bare bone fundamentals, the things that's not sexy, you know, working the absolute bare bone fundamentals isn't sexy. And, in typical guy fashion, we guys are very good at practicing what we are good at. Uh, but at the end of the day, what matters is, you know, being able to discern, discriminate, and be able to fire a weapon with impunity, knowing that that shot is going to be there when that hammer falls. I mean, that is, to me, absolute. That's number one. And a lot of guys neglect that. You know, they don't, if they're pistol training, they rarely go beyond the 10 yard line. With me on the range, they're going to go to 50. That's five zero yard line uh, all the way back there with, with a pistol. Uh, and they'll have a, uh, they'll be, they will surprise themselves. They'll enter the world of, you know, cognitive dissonance where they're like, holy crap, I actually hit stuff at 50 yards, you know, cause it's, it's unfathomable for them to be at 50 yard line with a, uh, with a pistol. So I don't do anything closer than, than 10 yards. Everything is, is pushed back and I work absolute bare bone fundamentals. Uh, and I, in, I, um, I inject a lot of sports psychology into my training too. You know, a lot of focus. It's very martial art esque. It's very cognitive. Uh, it's not, uh, you know, rolling in the dirt and shooting between your legs. And, you know, uh, it's, 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 uh, there's a lot more thought process involved. And the other thing that I do different than most people is I work performance based training versus outcome based training, which is, uh, outcome based training. I, I, define as execution with consideration of the consequence. Will I succeed or will I fail? It's basically how much, how, how many, how much, how fast. And when we're living in that world, we're kind of stuck in a rut. You know, there's no progress being made because we're adhering to some bullshit arbitrary standard that some dude wrote down and put in a book. So I work performance-based training and it understands that we all perform differently in performances measured by doing what we can with what we have. So I allow the individual to set a standard for himself. And then, you know, I, I, discuss ways of how to make incremental improvements based on that previous performance. So it, it, it's more, it's, it's an, att it's attractive and palatable to the intended recipient. You know, when we, when we work in that world, because the pressure's off, Oh, there's no pressure. I don't have to adhere to Pat Mac standards. Holy crap. So now they're, they see improvement a lot faster, you know, per, on a personal level, they see improvement a lot faster. So I, I have fun with it. 
And um, what guys realize is, damn, I don't work enough on proper bullet placement, you know, on accuracy, on, on doing stuff in slow motion, on making sure that my repetitions are so meaningful that I'm able to etch these skills into my hard drive so that I can access them on a subconscious level. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned there and you brought up the subconscious level that a lot of us guys kind of go through because there is kind of this thing when we're at the range and if you don't go beyond 10 yards, the reason is because you probably feel like you can't hit anything. And I, I remember the first time that I kind of surprised myself. I went out with my cousin. My cousin's on the SWAT team in the local police department in my town that I live in. And he took me out to uh, the police range and he put me at 50 yards with my pistol. And I'm like, what in the world are we doing at 50 yards? And he's like, no, seriously, he showed me a couple of things. And then I hit four, five, six, seven shots in a row at 50 yards. I was like, whoa, like this is insane. And not that long after that, maybe six months to a year after that, I'm uh, with one of my buddies out on his land somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. And I had just gotten a Sig Sauer 1911 from my dad as a gift. And he basically, my buddy's like, well, hey, see if you can hit that target. There was a 10 inch steel plate on the other side of his pond. And that was probably at 150, uh, 160 yards away, something like that. First shot through the barrel, had never shot that gun in my entire life. Ping. I hit it. Wow. Like I nail it. And it's just like, it was just this insane feeling. And even he was like, whoa, what the heck was that? But he and I kind of traded shots for a bit. And out of 10, he and I probably hit that target three or four times. And I'm sure we made a lot of mechanical mistakes and stuff like that. But, you know, just being able to hit a target at that distance with, with your pistol is just an incredible feeling. But that's a feeling that most guys can get if they just push themselves a little bit. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, when guys say, you know, when they, when they go, oh, I'm not going back past the 10 because I probably won't hit it. You know, there's, there's a lot of, um, <clears throat> I, I say that, you know, limits begin where vision ends or we cannot pour, we cannot perform our self image. So if, if you're, if you're thinking that already, then, you know, you're doomed. You know, if you have that, those negative thoughts prior to that training event, regardless of what the training is, then you're doomed from the start. But if, if somebody shows you, First, like, let's say Roger Bannister effect, like, let me show you that this can be done and thing. And then you, then you shoot it with their gun on top of it because they, they might think, well, you might have a mechanical advantage. Right. right. And then you do something with their own machinery. Then they go, holy crap. <clears throat> so the Roger Bannister effect takes over. They're like, oh man, I can do this. Holy crap. Cause I've seen it done and I've seen it done with my gear. So, uh, yeah, it opens up, it, it opens up a whole new door for him. It's amazing. It's amazing. I love that. So for the people who don't know, you know, Roger Bannister effect, what is it? 1953, nobody could break the four mile, uh, the four minute, uh, four minute, one mile time. Right. Um, the scientists thought that, you know, your heart's going to explode once and, and, and everybody was, a lot of people were close, you know, there was four ones and four, four ten between four ones and four tens, a bunch of them. But once Roger Bannister did it, then uh, several other people uh, did it as well, but not until he did it, you know? So that's uh, basically it. And that's a real nutshell, but that's the Roger Bannister effect. Yeah. And another thing about preparedness is, you know, basically what you have on you. And I know there are guys right now that are probably like, Kyle, you better ask him about his EDC. You better ask him. <laughs> so, yes. I'm going to ask you about what's in your everyday carry. So I want to have an idea as to kind of what you have on you at all times, but also I know that you carry a firearm just about anywhere that you can legally. Right. right. And the question that I do get from time to time, and I even had a buddy just recently ask me is, you know, what's the best position to carry that firearm? Like, do I want to carry at appendix three o'clock, four o'clock? And you know, it's kind of different for every person, but I wanted to kind of get your opinion of that. So if you would give us your EDC and also tell us what you do in terms of your preferred carry position for your firearm. Right. So number one, there might be guys out there who don't carry or, you know, it's a pain in the ass to get a license in their state. And they say, oh, I, I, I just, I, I, I'm not carrying yet. What should I do? Number one is have a good flashlight on you at all times, you know, and, and, be able to uh, deploy and employ that thing, a good handheld flashlight with uh, you know, like an O-ring on it or um, some kind of lanyard where you're not going to lose it. You know, that's to me, that's, that's number one. I, I use the flashlight more than anything. So have that and you have to have a good knife on you. And I'm not talking a fighting blade, but a good pocket knife, you know, a good utility type of uh, knife that should be on you at all times as well. Um, and then for my 
uh, weapon, I carry uh, primarily uh, Glock 19, and it's it's churched up. It's pretty sexy. It shoots really well. And uh, I carry appendix. Now, how you carry is a very personal uh, choice. What works for me may not necessarily work for somebody else based on how they dress, you know, the uniform they wear, their body composition, their athleticism, their level of training, all that stuff. But for me, appendix works really well. It's very comfortable. I could, I'm built so that I could carry appendix even with a t-shirt and only a guy who's got a really good trained eye is going to, is going to notice that, you know, everybody else isn't, but I, I, it prints very little. Um, and I like that. Uh, and I could, I, I could, I have complete mobility with that. I could jump, I could run. Uh, it's not going to fall out. I could get in a fist fight and it's not going to impede my movement. Uh, it's, it's fast on the draw strokes. You guys might say, ah, yeah, if you carry four o'clock, it's a lot faster. Like, well, you know, it's, it all depends on your level of training. Sure. You know, what's fast to you may not be fast to me. Uh, so, uh, I'm gonna. I, I'm pretty confident in my ability to be able to draw and hit somebody with le- with intended lethality in you know in those couple of nanoseconds. Uh, and I can also uh, you know uh, grapple without having to worry about it being um, you know taken from me uh, because we do that at my gym. We you know we roll and fight and stuff with guns on us. Uh, because um, that's the that's a that's a really good way to determine whether or not what you're carrying uh, is in the right position and is comfortable for you. You know, if you're leaving a yard sale all over the place when you're um, you know running or moving or jumping over something or in a tussle with somebody, it's probably not in the right place. So you need to reevaluate and rethink how you're carrying it, where you're carrying it. But that's basically in a nutshell. And then I carry a spare mag in my back pocket. Uh, what else do I carry on me? Those are the big ones. And then I have stuff that I always have in my car too. So, but those, that's what I have on my body, on my person. Yeah. There's some guys that I talk to and you know, these are the guys that are like, Hey, I don't need to learn how to fight. I don't need to be ready. I have a gun on me or I'm going to have a gun in the car or the guns in the glove box or whatever the situation might be. But there are stories all the time of things that come up where your gun's just not near you. There was even one here recently with my wife. We have some, some studio spaces in Oklahoma city and we go to one of our studio spaces and this is like probably 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. And we needed to go around, like we needed to go inside, go around to the back and like kind of just, you know, grab a couple of things. We were not going to be there more than two, three minutes. And so we just leave the front door wide open. It was like summertime. It was fine. And so we go back in the back and I come out of the back. And when I come around the corner, there's a guy standing in the open doorway. Again, this is 10 30, 11 o'clock at night on a Friday. He seemed shocked to see me, absolutely wow. shocked to see me. But at the time, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know if he's a neighbor. I don't know if my wife knows him. So I, I kind of take a step back. I put my hand kind of closer to my gun, which was at four o'clock at that particular time. And when my wife came around the corner, she goes, oh, hi, are you here to see the studio? She didn't know the guy, right? And so the guy's like, no, no, I was just, you know, I, I saw the door open and I just figured I'd, I'd make sure everything was okay. And I was like, oh, all right, buddy. Okay. Have a good night. See ya. And so the guy leaves. My wife doesn't think anything of it. We get back in the truck and as we're driving away, I get a couple of miles down the road and I just go, sweetheart, this is one of those situations that I'm talking to you about because she's, she doesn't want to have her gun on her, right? She just want to ha- she wants to have it in her purse. The purse might be in her car. It might be on her shoulder. It's just, you never know. And I said, look, in that exact scenario, that guy was between you and your force multiplier. Right. Because if you had just ran inside real quick and I wasn't there and your gun was in your purse, which is in your car, now what's the plan? Right. Because because you've got a guy that you don't know that is in between you and potentially safety, right? And you just have to think through those situations and think, what would I do? And that's why I run into so many guys. It's, It's just they haven't figured out the most convenient way or best way to carry on their person quite yet. And that's the reason why they don't carry, which isn't isn't a great excuse to me. But that is what stops some people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's funny. I have a quick anecdote for you as well. It was right before I wrote Sentinel. Um, I was looking for a condo close to my home, uh, you know, domestic messiness and all that stuff. And I got with this realtor and she was a nice looking lady. She didn't know me from Adam. You know, she's a realtor. 
She's a nice looking lady. And I met her and she's showing me this place and she's walking around with impunity and, and we have a closed door behind us. You know, me and this young, good looking, small built woman. And, and she's crawling around and going, Oh yeah, it has this little uh, doorway here. And we're going into dark places in this, in, in this, in this building. And I, I had to give her an ass to her. And I said, Hey, I, I got to tell you, you know, you don't know me from Adam. You know, you let, you're doing this all wrong. First of all, you're not looking, you know, where you're going. You don't, you have no, uh, um, uh, situation awareness. You don't know where I am in this building, but I had a long talk with her about that because her situation awareness and her comfort level was too, she was way too comfortable. Um, and I think a lot of people are nowadays, they're just complacent. You know, they're, they've relinquished their natural defense mechanisms as a human being, you know, which is that situation awareness and, and a uh, lack of complacency. But yeah, anyway, that's an excellent point, especially when you're talking about complacency. And I guess we can just move on to the, to this next part, which is one place that you are clearly not complacent at all is when it comes to your overall physicality in your exercise regimens and the things that you work on. And the thing is, is there's so many different philosophies out there now when it comes to working out and I'm not even going to go through them now, but I think your philosophy, I think it'd be fair to say that your philosophy can be summed up with combat strength training. So this is something that if you go to combatstrengthtraining.com, you can check this out. He's got an ebook on there as well. But give a give us an idea as to what CST is and why it's important for guys to train in this way. Uh, so it's a uh, it's a it's a it's a program that retrofits the combat chassis so that it performs more efficiently at near maximum capacity. Uh, I'd like to break the work week down into basically you know, five different days, uh, a power day, strength day, speed and quickness, hypertrophy and skills. And then I have a formula that says work, um, <clears throat> work in anaerobic chunks in circuit to near metabolic threshold to meet anaerobic goal. So time management at the forefront, I'm not working out more than 30 minutes per day. Uh, because if you're doing it right, that's all you need. And the other thing is there's, I'm always doing something different. So each day or the day before prior to workout, I, I develop in my head what I'm going to do for that day. I already have a guideline, let's say a strength, like today was a strength day on the drive to, to my gym. I figured out what I was going to do because I don't want to get into a routine one thing is routine is a playground of a dull mind. And if you're in a routine, you're going to fall into a rut of complacent adaptation. You're not going to see uh, improvement and you're not going to be able to recognize voids if you're doing the same thing over and over. So I like to always mix stuff up and confuse the body. Um, those are big ones that guys neglect. You know, those are huge. Another thing that uh, I do every day's work in the transverse plane. So you have three different planes of motion. You have frontal, sagittal, and transverse. Most guys live in a sagittalistic world where they're doing bench press and curls and stuff like that. You can't bench press your way out of a burning building. Uh, the most important plane of motion that we could work is that transverse plane, that rotational. In the transverse plane lives ass kicking and life saving. I would also that to say that the most neglected plane of motion is the transverse plane. You know, when we, when we work out that rotational stuff. So every day I'm doing something transverse. I'm also loading differently on each, you know, side. Um, and, and, uh, there's very little conventional stuff. Every once in a while we do some Olympic lifts because they're great. You know, Olympic lifts are great for you, but most of the time, um, I'm, I'm mixing it up and I have a couple guys I train every day at noon, uh, and their body types are completely different. They, uh, it, that's why I break the body down into different combat chassis types, because once again, it's performance based and pe performance based training recognizes that we all perform differently and it can be measured by doing what we can with what we have. So, uh, it's very, uh, malleable in fashion in that guys can adjust it. Uh, and, you know, work within their capability limit. But yeah, I have a lot of fun with it. Uh, and I have, I am, I am my, my machine, my combat chassis is running very well at 
I'll be 55 in two months and it's running very well, especially considering the mileage that I have, you know, anybody who's done a career in ground pounding has a lot of miles. They're hard, hard miles on that combat chassis. So not only hard miles, but I had, you know, I retired with four reconstructive surgeries and 13 broken bones. So in most cases, a guy finishes a career with those kind of uh, injuries and he's, he's put out the pasture. You know, he's, he's done. He's, he's riding that couch for the rest of his life. Right. Where I did not want to be like that. I started training smart in my, uh, I think early thirties, maybe it was, I started training smarter and it has, it has really paid off. Um, the age thing guys always are amazed, you know, they're like, Holy shit, bro. Are you kidding me? What do you eat? You know, or what are you doing? And I tell them about the, the, um, the programming. I mean, I'm, the, the older I get, so long as I could stay fit, the more legitimate or, you know, the more affirmation I get from what I am doing. Uh, it's a good program. And the other thing is it's fun and it's interesting and it helps to mitigate the mundane, you know, that stuck in a rut type of feeling or that routine, because you're always doing something different. You're just, the only, the, the only routine thing about it is Monday's power day, Tuesday's strengths, Wednesday speed and quickness, Thursday's hypertrophy, Friday skills. And if you don't have five days, you could lump a couple of them. You could lump uh, power and speed and quickness, and you could lump strength and hypertrophy, for example. So I like to mitigate as many excuses as possible. And the other one that I help to mitigate is, bro, I don't have gym uh, or gear. So I'm a minimalist when it comes to working out. Uh, I don't, I don't need a lot. I mean, I do, I do work, workouts on the range with a cinder block and a, you know, couple chunks of wood and I get a better workout than guys who are going to LA fitness. Yeah. I think you're nailing it, Pat, especially when you're talking about the excuses. So many guys just put every excuse they could possibly think of out there as to why they shouldn't be able to do things. I even talked to a guy that's like, yeah, I stopped working out for 10 years because I had kids. It's like, that can't really be your excuse because the thing is, is you're a guy in your mid fifties. That's not just aging. You're aging dangerously because you're learning more. You're taking more things into your brain. And then if you guys didn't catch it, your, your combat chassis is your body, but you keep working out your combat chassis and you hear these guys that are like, I don't need to be in shape. I don't need be able to run or fight or train jujitsu or Muay Thai or boxing or any of that because I have a gun, right? What if you get a fight at an airport or someplace where you can't have right. a gun? Like you're not always going to be able to depend on the firearm to, to save you. And the thing with you that I think I like so much about your workout regimen is you're really big on having a lot of different ways of being able to work out, right? So you work out with bands and you've even got your own workout resistance bands are called get you some bands. We'll, we'll make sure we put those in the show notes so you guys can check those out. But you work out with free weights, you work out with kettlebells, you you mentioned blocks of wood earlier, like you just get your work in. But the thing that I like about combat strength training is it's not just training for whatever. You're not just training because you want to look good in a bathing suit and you don't want to be embarrassed at a pool party and you know, your clothes will fit better. Those are all things that'll come with it, but you've got four specific goals as to why you train this way. And I love it. So I just want to go over the goals for our listeners. The first goal is self-preservation longevity. Bingo. The second goal is to be able to save your own life. The third goal is to be able to save the lives of your family or friends. And the fourth is to crush bad guys, right? I mean, that's the whole thing is that's, that's a very much so sheepdog mindset. But I feel like so many men today just struggle with having that mindset at all. They struggle with the idea that they're ever going to have to use their body or something near them to, to end a threat, to engage somebody. They just want to walk around with their hands over their eyes and hands over their ears and pretend like nothing bad could possibly happen. It's kind of, it reminds me of that poem that I bring up all the time on the show, which is, and I don't even know who wrote it, but it's. Hard times make strong men, strong men make good times, good times make weak men, weak men make hard times. And and I just got to be honest, I feel like right now we're in this moment where we've got a lot of weak men that are going to be creating some hard times for us that are just over the hill, right? I mean, these are going to be just facing us right, right down in our faces before too long. I feel like we're in that. So I, I just want you to kind of talk even a little bit further about why CST is so important and to train with those four different ideas in mind are so important and why it is so important to be a sheepdog. Yeah. So anything can happen to anybody at any time. We don't plan to fail, but we fail to plan. And our uh, lack of preparedness is basically lack of lack of will. And, and, and a lot of it is just uh, character motivation. 
I am not, I am not worried about taking care of myself. One of my biggest worries is, you know, not being prepared to take care of somebody else, you know, to be somebody else's Batman. I mean, I want to be able to help other people, not me. I'm good. I'm good. I don't carry a gun to, to protect myself. I carry it to protect the sheep. The sheep don't want my help, but guess what? I'm going to give it to them anyway. And I will not relinquish an opportunity to be Batman and you can be Batman at any level that could be helping somebody to change a tire, you know, or push their car out of the road because you know, they got in an accident or to help, you know, help somebody out of a burning building. Uh, I, I can't imagine having, you know, the, the burden, having to shoulder a burden of not being able to help somebody in need. And, and that's my biggest, that's my number one uh, reason, uh, you know, besides self-preservation, longevity, you know, being able to save my life, somebody else's life or kicking somebody's ass, you know, the, the self-preservation, longevity and uh, how you look, those are byproducts. That's all byproduct stuff. And it's, you're going to look better. You know, you're going to be sexier and you're going to feel better. You're going to live longer. Those are byproducts. The, but the big ones, man, I, 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 um, I, I want to be there for somebody, you know, when, when shit, when shit hits the fan and it doesn't have to be, you know, a catastrophic, catastrophic event. It could be, you know, helping a mom whose, whose kid fell off a, uh, off a bicycle and you got to carry this kid home without getting smoked because you're walking 200 yards with 80 pounds in your hands. Uh, but those, I think those are the big ones. And, and, for the guys who are like, eh, you know, nothing's going to happen to me. Yeah, but it might happen to somebody else and you need to be there to help them. You know, it doesn't have to be your kids or your wife to be somebody else's. And you should be there as a human being. You know, it's your duty to help other human beings. So, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't get the mindset, but, uh, I hope it resonates. You know, when I talk about that, usually that resonates with people more than anything. When I see guys who are out of shape, like in my courses, you know, they've, they've, <clears throat> they've let themselves go and I could see that they have good footwork, you know, and that they're the good shooters, but they've let themselves go. What I, 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 I do this tactfully, but I say, Hey man, you have to be there for other people. Do you have kids? You got to be there for them. You know, think about them. Think about your wife. Uh, and that usually resonates better than take care of yourself, you know, because self guys are like, eh, you know, whatever. No, take care of somebody else. And usually that's a, that's a good kick in the pants for another human being. Cause they're like, damn, bro, you're right, man. I got to take care of other people. I got to be there for my kids, for my wife, for my family, for my community, whoever it is. And I don't know that, that resonates and it's more palatable. Yeah. You're definitely preaching to the choir here. I mean, and I do everything that I can, even just from what we do here to encourage guys to train, to encourage them to train their bodies with fighting and encourage them to train with all their weapon systems that are at their disposal so that they can be lethal with all of those things. And another thing that we talk about here a lot on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast is just cultivating spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And one of the reasons why I follow you and I like your stuff is because you absolutely crush it at mental resilience and physical resilience. It is so clearly part of who you are and everything that you do, but we don't really hear you talk much about the spiritual aspects of life or any type of spiritual resilience. So for you, what role, if any, does spiritual resilience or some sort of a Judeo-Christian worldview or Christian ethic works into the overall Pat McNamara philosophy of how to do life? Well, I, I, I consider myself a spiritual person and how that translates to another person may be completely different, but I am, uh, and this sounds freaking so hippie. Oh my God. I'm going to say this. Somebody's going to give me shit for this, but I am, <laughs> but ready, I am ready, at ready. one. Yeah. I am at one with nature. You know, I, I love uh, to, to look at nature through, through the eyes of a child. Uh, like I've never seen it before, you know, like I'm living vicariously through, a, a being who came here from another planet. But I look at that every day and I find great solace in that. And that's where I find spirituality. When I do, I do a wilderness walk every, every year in the Rocky mountains. And I am one, I feel like I am one with nature and that's where I get my biggest 
like spiritual spiritual moments. I, I I'm not um I am I am not a religious person per se. You know, as we define religion, it's not that I ha- have anything against it. It's just that I'm kind of just um uh I, I, I draw a blank on it for some reason. I draw a blank. I really respect it and I I love it. Uh, like I do the once again my podcast with CJ uh, Ortiz. He used to be a uh, a preacher and. Man, when he talks religion, I just, I love it. I mean, it's so cool, you know, the way he talks about it. Um, I'm not that guy, uh, and I can't talk it, but, um, but, I, but I love it and respect it, and I really respect guys who are devoted and without being hypocristians, because I grew up with hypocristians, and uh, I can't stand those people. They make me sick. So I like people who not only talk the talk, but walk the walk when it comes to that. Yeah, man, I appreciate you being so candid about that. And well, to be honest, you do kind of sound like a hippie, but that's okay. (laughs) we can get past that. But the reason why I like to ask that is because a lot of people do categorize Christians as a certain person that grew up a certain way, that thinks a certain thing. And the thing about it is, is it doesn't really matter where you started in terms of kind of what your worldview is. It matters where you're at right now and how you arrived at that. You know what I mean? Right. And the encouragement I would give to you would be the same encouragement I would give to anybody else. Because for me, the reason that I'm a Christian is not because I had some sort of, you know, otherworldly experience, like the clouds parted and God said, hey, you should follow my son. Like it wasn't one of those situations for me i just had to reckon with who the person of jesus was and you know was this a guy that actually existed okay so follow the flow chart yes this guy actually existed okay well what did he say okay well how was that recorded well how was that documented how do we know that that is true like how can we base that because here's the thing is like most people think that the christian religion and i'm kind of with you in terms of you know when you use the word christian i mean that that term and that phrase or whatever has been hijacked by so many people no one really knows exactly what it means or what it means to be a christian but every single thing that i believe within the christian worldview i can point to the exact evidence for why I believe that. You know, it's not just faith and crossing my fingers and hoping I'm right. You know, this is definitely a thinking man's religion. This isn't one of those things where you, if you can either be a Christian or an intellectual, these aren't ideas that are contrary to one another. You can be both and you should be both. And I'm sure that comes up in some of the discussions with you, with CJ. And the thing is, is you seem like an open-minded guy and you seem like a logical guy. And that's the thing at the end of the day is, and you kind of talked about a little bit earlier, talking about the hypocrites, right? The thing about it is that's how people get turned off to Christianity. It's his supposed followers, right? It's Jesus' supposed followers. Because the thing about it is, is you should judge a religion based on the words that were said, not based on its abuse. And what has happened for most people is they look at the writings of Jesus and they look at the people that are actually out there espousing those beliefs, but then they're also looking at their actions and they don't necessarily coincide. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. X-ring. That's I like to tell people when they pegged it. Yep, you hit an X-ring on that one. Well, I guess I'll leave that one there. So I appreciate that very much. So we're going to go ahead and get into our last section here. And here's the deal. Anytime there's somebody that's very active on social media and they're doing a lot of things out there, every now and then there are some quotes or some tweets or something like that that just need a little bit more context. So for you, there's you. I originally had a list of five, but you already answered one of them. So there's four, I guess we can call them McNamarisms or something like that, <laughs> that you've said that I think just require a little bit more context. So the very first one that you did, you already covered it earlier in the show and you did a really, really good job with that and that's this you have to be the agent in charge of your own executive detail but the next one that needs a little bit more context is this just because we have a gun doesn't mean we're armed damn straight bro well you 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 started uh talking about that one where guys are like "Eh, i don't need to train i don't need to you know learn how to fight because i got a gun what are you going to do with that gun you know in most cases you pull it out and if it's a physical confrontation that's called murder dude you know, it, just because we have a gun doesn't mean you're armed. The mind is the final weapon. All else is, is supplemental. We don't plan to fail, but we fail to plan. When we do, we get experience. And experience is something we get shortly after we need it. You know, um, I am of the mindset that if, if there's a confrontation, most of the time it's going to go physical way before it goes lethal, way before. I mean, I've had a lot of confrontations with people, and I've had, you know, let's say CONUS, None of my conus uh, confrontations have been lethal. They've all been physical, you know, and how you deal with that is up to you. And, and, you know, most we avoid, 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 avoid at all costs, you know, uh, 
but there is going to be a situation in everybody's life where they have to, you know, where they're going to have a physical confrontation with somebody in most people's lives. With me, it's been a bunch for whatever reason, you know, because of alpha males and there's, you know, bar bullies and stuff like that. Or I, I hate bullies and I'm going to step in when I see a bully, I'm stepping in you know, I'm not, I'm not asking permission. I am going to intervene because it is my job. It is my duty. And it's not going to be lethal. It's going to be freaking physical, you know, every time. So I really despise that one, you know, that, uh, well, I got a gun. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah. Good on you. Yeah. And if if, if, a guy who says that probably can't shoot anyway, he's probably a freaking liability and not an asset anyway. Right. You know, the guy who says that shit, you know, usually guys who, um, guys who train well, uh, they train on some level of, uh, you know, physical, uh, physical training, fighting, uh, some, some kind of close quarter battle, you know, with their hands, with their feet, with grappling and stuff like that. A lot of them. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the open carry douchebags who say, oh, I just got a gun and I'll shoot them. They have, you know, they're, they're an absolute liability. They can't shoot. And this is my opinion, but my opinion is they can't shoot. They can't fight. And, uh, they couldn't run freaking a hundred yards without keeling over. I tell guys all the time, it's like, hey, look, if you can't sprint to the end of the parking lot to save your life, but you've read every book on the planet, you're still useless to me. Like, I don't care how many books you've read. I need you to sprint in this moment. So, but hey, I got three more things I need a little bit more context from you on. The next one is this. Every night is Saturday night. Every morning is Monday morning. Yeah. So uh, this one has resonated with a lot of people. I can't remember when I invented that one, but I have a stressful uh, uh, work schedule. And in the past several years, and I, I'm, I'm, my plan is to slow down here in 2020. That's my plan. But it, for the past several years, for six, seven years, it's seven days a week. It's seven days a week. And I am, I am jam packed with crap and I'll, I'll work till, uh, till nine at night. You know, it's, if, if I'm at home, I'm going to work till nine at night. So uh, several times a week, I like to, um, my work wife works in town. I like when she gets off of work, let's say six 30 or seven, she'll send me a text and I'll meet her downtown and we'll sit down and we'll, uh, we'll chat like schoolgirls. You know, my wife's my best friend, which I'm very fortunate to have a wife who's my best buddy. Um, she's probably one of the best human beings I've ever met. And, and we'll talk about our day. Uh, we'll sip on a pint and, uh, we're around other human beings as well because we are social we are social creatures and I don't go out to make friends and stuff like that. But you know, I like my local people. I like to say hi to them and ask how their day was because I think community is important. Um, but, uh, so every night we'll do something, but we, we, we recognize also that every morning back to the grind, you know, it's our own grind. And that, that goes for Sunday night, you know, or whatever it is. But every night, Saturday night, every month, every morning is Monday morning because that's the life that we, that we live. A lot of people do too. You know, they don't have days off. When people say to me, have a nice weekend. I'm like, holy crap, man. You have no idea. I don't have weekends. You know, I don't have Saturdays and Sundays. It's every day, every day. I'm, I, I'm working every day. I have to schedule days off. Well, I don't do that. My wife does that for me. Hey man, the, the grind never stops. The grind never stops at all. But here's the deal: is like you got someone on your team that can run interference for you, so that's a good thing. The right. next one here is the ability to fail quickly. Right. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so failing, you know, when failing is important. It is a biological requirement, you know, to fail. Like, but we have to recognize it. We have to fail well. You know, we have to fail with cognition of why we felt, you know, there should be some kind of keen intellect there. You know, why did we fail? I always worry about the guy who, when he fails, he has no idea why that to me, that's a red flag. It's like, Ooh, I got to spend some time with this guy when I'm teaching him. But the guy who fails and he knows exactly what happened, learning is taking place there. So a lot of people, when they fail, they'll dwell on it. You know, they'll dwell on it and they'll think about it and they'll spend a long time failing. So it's, it's basically like stay in the fight. Everybody's heard that, you know, stay in the fight, stay in the fight, stay in the fight. Failing quickly is the same thing. 
you know, get over it, water off of a duck's ass. When we fail, fail quickly and learn from the past, prepare for the future and perform in the, tre- in the present. But learn from that failure. If you repeat the same failure over and over again, you have got an issue. That is a red flag. You know, there's no learning taking place. You know, if you repeat the same mistake, there is no learning taking place. So, yeah, don't spend a long time failing. Fail quickly. All right, man, last thing I got for you, and I can't do it in a the best Pat McNamara voice, but I will do my best. Make it habitual. <laughs> Make it habitual. Yeah, I totally winged that one. That was on a Sunday Sentinel sermon. And uh, because I write about it in the Sentinel book, how certain things should be a habit. Um, and for me, there's certain things. And initially, like your day-to-day, if you're the agent in charge of your own executive protection detail, there's certain things I do during the day that initially require work. You know, they require, they require work. It's like, oh, it's a pain in the ass to do, you know, being switched on, having this much, um, you know, situational awareness, you know, you're in the orange, you know, Cooper's color codes, you know, from white to, to red. But if you do it over and over and over again, pretty soon it becomes a habit. And when it's habitual, it's not work anymore. It just, it's, it's a way of life. You know, it's your, it's your new normal. Let it become your new normal. Those things. Like when you're driving around or when you're back in a parking lot doing your scanning five yards and 25 yards, you know, if you do it, if it's repetitive, let's say, I don't know, a couple dozen times for every human being, it's different. But if you do it a couple dozen times, pretty soon it just starts happening. It just starts happening. You know, it's a, it's a new normal. So that's where I came up with that. Make it habitual, make it habitual. Well, hey, man, if I could have that be my alarm clock every morning, if I could just hear that. So if any of you tech guys out there know how to do that, I would love for that to be my alarm clock. But that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? No, bro, I appreciate uh, you having me on. Pat McNamara, thanks for being on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Rock and roll, brother. And there you have it. Wasn't that fun? Wasn't that fun, guys? I mean, I had a blast. I had an absolute blast talking to him. That was so much fun. I really hope that you guys enjoyed it. But before we let you guys go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know by now, we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So for you today, I got a recap of all the links that we talked about throughout this podcast. So we've got his website. That's tmaxinc.com. I've got a link to his Instagram and YouTube pages. I've got the Joe Rogan Experience episode 1262 that he was featured on about a year ago. There's a video called T-Max Sentinel Review. So this is kind of a review of one of the tactical trainings that he had done. It's a really, really cool video. You can get a little bit more in-depth look at what he does when he's doing his trainings. I also have a link to the Combat Strength Training ebook, the book he wrote called TAPS, Tactical Application of Practical Shooting Book, and Sentinel, Becoming the Agent in Charge of Your Own Protectional Detail. Um, and there's also another shop that he's got. He's got some t-shirts and those uh, Get You Some bands, and then also a link to his podcast that he does with CJ Ortiz. Guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Google Play, and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us one. That is how this podcast will continue to grow and get out to more people just like you. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the entirety of 2020. So if you want me to come speak to your team on your podcast, at your men's event, your conference, whatever, hit me up, info at undaunted.life. Again, that's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.